Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on June 20th, 2021, the fourth Sunday of Pentecost. I invite you to join with me on the invocation, which is printed in the bulletin. God be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name, for you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please rise as you are able in our opening hymn, number 237.
Our responsive reading comes to us from Psalm 133. Let us read together responsively. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity. Upon the beard of Aaron, it runs down upon the collar of his robe. For there the Lord has ordained the blessing, life forevermore. doing many things, which is actually good for a church. This might be the most active weekend we have for this summer, but I like to be proven wrong on things like that. About this time last year, we were still in shutdown, and our church was struggling to try to keep up, as many other churches were, with learning technology and and trying to connect with people remotely to see if we could still be viable. And of course, as the pandemic ensued, and even though we came back gingerly to our space last July, we had a small core group of individuals who were here helping us to sort of keep the lights on and and keep the spirit of, of fellowship together. But we all did have in the back of our minds would we be vibrant again? And I'm sure that we weren't the only congregation who was thinking along those lines. Many a congregation were saying, will folks come back? Will they return? Will it be like it was before? And maybe the jury is still out in various congregations as to when they would say that they've hit their vitality. But for me, at least today, a very good indicator of that is when you can receive new members because then you have individuals who say, hey, this faith stuff, it's important to me. And I found a fellowship where that can be fostered, where I can find mentors, individuals whose company and conversation I enjoy. I feel like I can grow. So today we will receive some new members who want to continue their faith journey with us. And that always pleases me, because my hope is that these new members will will survive me when I'm gone from this place. Christian, I'll be like, wait, what do you mean? What are you talking about, William? But that is the hope. That is the hope that that as uh, individuals come into the household of faith, that they hopefully will have a, a lengthy tenure in this space. So... If those of you who are going to be joining our church would come forward and join with me in this chancel space, we will make that a reality. Yes. 
extra, extra goodies today. Because it's the one thing we want to do is be in church all day. Come on forward. All right. <laughs> um, you can face them. <laughs> so today we have Casey Evanson and family, Corbin, Aiden, Rachel, and her husband, Derek and Accenture. Joe Schick, Rodney Glaive, Sherry Hansel, Beth Collins. And Beth Collins is now our newly minted church secretary. So thank you, Beth. Her handiwork is in your hands today. Each one of them have been called to this church various times through various events. They have, they have tested the waters and they have decided, hey, you know what? We like it. We think we'll stay. So we, we certainly have, have appreciated your blessing us and we do hope that we continue to bless you in your journey as well. By your baptism, you were made one with us in the body of Christ the church. Today we rejoice in your pilgrimage of faith, which has brought you to this time and place. And we give thanks to every community of faith that has been your spiritual home. We celebrate your presence today and in the future in this household of faith. Acknowledging Jesus Christ to be your Lord, do you resolve to join with us in Christian worship and in service, in giving and in fellowship to further the work of the gospel in this community and beyond as God shall give you aid? If so, please respond, I do. I invite those of you members of our congregation and just friends to stand up because we're members of the household of faith. Let us join together in our covenant, which is printed on the front cover of the hardcover hymnal. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Members and friends, having read the covenant of this church, heard the candidates profess their commitment to Christ in this church and their desire to covenant with us in Christian fellowship as members of this church, do you promise to offer them your love, support, and encouragement as we journey together in the faith? If so, let the congregation respond, we do. Therefore, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we bid you welcome into this fellowship of the church and in token of your membership in the Church Universal, I personally will extend to you the right hand of fellowship in the name of God the Father of our Lord. Please welcome our new members as I dismiss You all may be seated, except for that, since I think you're oh, singing. Oh, never mind. That's right. <laughs> Casey's already got service to do. Oh, you want to go grab Casey? Oh, just a second. Hang on. Marilyn's got it. She's got it covered, buddy. There you go. I've only got two books. Is that one? You have to share it. You can share it for
Good morning. Uh, the first reading is from 1 Samuel's various verses, and it's shorter if I just make it that way. So. David's return from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, and his armor and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. As a result, Saul sent him over to the army. And all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. The next day an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul threw the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of thousand. And David marched out and came in leading the army. David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for it was he who marched out again and came in leading them. The second reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found within our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, through a great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, and holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet as well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. I invite you to rise for the gospel. The gospel comes to us from Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side, and leaving the crowd behind. He took with him in the boat just as he was. The other boats were with him. 
A great gale arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind and the sea, saying, peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. You may be seated. Let us pray. God of grace and God of glory, we thank you for this day that you have given us an opportunity for us to be not only in your midst, at least more mindful of being in your midst, but also in the assembly of the congregation that you have called. That each one of us arriving at this point, unique in our own life experience, we ask that you would continue to renew and refresh us, that it would bolster the claims we have already made about who you are in the world and who you are to us. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you bless and guide us as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm continuing on in the semi-continuous, looking at the narrative of the life of Saul and David. Now we have this intersectionality where David, having just been successful in his battle against Goliath, his star is rising. And Saul, who is still king, but he's on his, slowly, slowly on his way out as David comes more and more into his own, is having a hard time dealing with that. He sees the notoriety that David has. He sees the, the charisma that he possesses. He understands that right now his name is held preeminent in the society of the court. People are talking more about David and his exploits and less about Saul. They're speaking more about this, this young, valiant warrior and less about their king. And Saul is feeling this sting. He is feeling the sting of being replaced. As I was meditating on this scripture, I started to think about those of us who find ourselves in that position that we all will be in should we live long enough to see our own successors. And it's hard to pass the torch, the difficulty of knowing that this life that you have worked to fashion, that at some point, sometime, you will have to leave it to another. And it's not through the event of death, though in some cases that does and will happen. But I think the cases that are more difficult for us to wrestle with in that transition of authority is when we are still alive to see who our successor is going to be. And as much as we try to mentor them, to try to tell them all of the wisdom that we have learned and that we have acquired and how best to handle this thing that they are going to inherit or take over, we know at our core, understanding that they are going to do it their own way. That they will bring their own stamp, their own worldview, their own way 
of doing things to what we are vacating, what we are leaving behind. I've heard so many different stories around how people transition their businesses or even transition life in the corporate and executive world where they see the individual that they are going, it's going to replace them, it's going to succeed them, and they are called to sort of train them in the ways of the business. And it's, and it's all the stories that I've heard, it's, it's never easy. It's never easy for the person who is soon to be replaced to let go easily. Oh, sure, we all want the, the joys of retirement. We all want the ability to be able to create our days the way we want to. But that thing that we have been in for decades has become so much a part of us that there is some part of us that can't imagine not doing it anymore, not being there, not even coming into the office just to sort of mess about a bit. This is where Saul is at. Saul was the first king of Israel. We heard two weeks ago that the people came to Samuel and said, we don't want you. We want a king. No more of this prophecy stuff. No more of these holy men. Just give us a king so we could look like other conventional societies. And we saw that Samuel was feeling brushed aside. He was starting to feel the sting of being replaced. But he prayed on it. God says, it's not against you. It's against me. But if they want a king, you give them a king. Saul fit the bill, at least cosmetically he did. He looked the part, tall, imposing, well put together. Seemed like this, this will be a good king. But as we had mentioned last week, that Saul didn't have the right thinking. He wasn't a compassionate thinker. He wasn't a shepherd. He wasn't in it for the people. He didn't really care about the individuals he was called to rule over. He liked all the lavishment. He liked all the accoutrement that came with being king. So after a few rounds of Saul's insolence, God's like, I'm, I'm through with him. I'm going to choose up a king who's got a shepherd's heart. And David was called. Now we know, those of us who have been through the life of David, that his kingdom wasn't perfect, but David always knew where his strength came from. He never forgot that. He always knew that it was God that he was responsible and accountable to. So when God had removed his love and favor from King Saul and placed it upon David, Saul felt that shift, maybe even on an energetic level, because he saw how people sort of surrounded David with accolades. Even Saul's own son, Jonathan, as it was mentioned in the passage today, came to love David as his own brother. They became so thick as if those two had shared the same parentage. So Saul has to see this play out that his own son has even sort of withdrawn from him and attached himself to David. Look, transition is going to happen. If we're blessed and fortunate enough, we will grow old and we will no longer have the capacity to do what we once enjoyed doing, felt called to do, and we're privileged to do. The question is, is how we handle that transition. How we handle being able to vacate what we have started, what we have established, and to allow someone else to inhabit that position, and then to leave with no grudge, to leave without resentment, to not be meddlesome, to not try to shadow any individual, but just to truly 
look back at the work that we have done and say, hey, job well done. And I was happy to have been a part of that. The life cycle of the church, it's constantly individuals who are being added and individuals who are departing. And the nature of the household of faith changes with this influx of people. But what shouldn't change is the reason why we gather in the first place. The ability to be able to hear that message of hope and renewal, to be able to recount the deeds of Jesus Christ, and to place our hopes upon him. Because I believe that Jesus is speaking to us in times of transition, and if you haven't felt that the last year was weird, then I'm sorry you weren't paying attention. Because it was. And we're still in the shadow of some of that weirdness. <laughs> like, what, what, what was that? And maybe even as things start to pick up in, in our public sphere and we get back to our socializations, we get back to being around larger crowds, that might even feel a little weird too. Because we have been away from it for so long. But this season of transition that we are in is one that I think can be best handled with a little measure of faith. To understand that, yes, there were some things that took place that we didn't understand. We may never understand. We may never be able to answer those questions that we posed about what it was we observed, what it was we felt, where our emotions ran to in the past year. But one thing we can be assured of is that somehow that the continuous grace of God was consistent throughout it all. And that might have been our touchstone. We might have found ourselves reaching out to our devotions a little bit more frequently. We might have found ourselves actually breathing and calling on God more frequently than we have at any other time in our place because there were things that were so beyond our control that it only seemed that God could make sense of it all. So we became a little bit more familiar with the attitude of faith. So we are always in a season of transition. We are always presented with some sets of events that are a little bit beyond our ability to master. The question is, is, is how do we conduct ourselves? First of all, let's place a little bit more reliance on the fact that God's ways are not our ways. And we can trust that God's wisdom is going to be exactly what we need when we need it. We can't think our way through these things. All we can do is trust that indeed there is a plan. If we stay plugged in, it will unfold for us. Best not to respond as Saul did, letting himself become so overcome with resentment that he tried to kill David. David would play soothing songs for Saul because he knew that he was distressed, and yet Saul would be, it says, it says, overcome by an evil spirit, rage, and he would grab for his spear and he would try to slay David because he just simply didn't want to be replaced. The thought of his no longer being king, the thought that God had removed his love from him was too much for Saul. We need to keep our heads about us too. Maybe 
what if it's the case that 2020 isn't the weirdest year that we will ever experience? And I probably shouldn't say that. You're like, come on, don't jinx us, Gentry. We're just, we're just starting to recover. But what if that is, pales in comparison to what happens later on? What if next year is even more surreal? Are we going to freak out? Are we going to have another panic attack? Are we going to forget everything, all the life lessons that we've learned? Or are we going to say, wait a minute, we've been here before. It got weird a couple of years ago. I almost lost it, wound up in the hospital real bad with nervous anxiety. But I made it through because people reminded me that I'm a child of God. That I've been blessed and fortified. And that I come from a household of faith whose people and whose prayers have sustained me. If we cannot accept the transitions that life yields to us, we will bear no witness for those who come after us. If they see us full of anxiety with racked nerves, running around in confusion, trying to rescue ourselves through distraction, shopping, and other unhealthy activities, it doesn't bode well for how they are going to handle those seasons in life when their wisdom is tested. Jesus calls us into a calm. That's why we see this image of Jesus calming the storm with a word. The storm is raging all about the disciples. Some of them were fishermen, so they knew life on the water. But yet the storm was, was such that they had never seen before. Jesus asleep in the stern, tucked away after a long day of healing. They're panicking. They think they're going to die. So they have to wake up Jesus and question him. Don't you care that we are perishing? We're going to die and you're asleep? Naturally annoyed, Jesus has to calm the wind and the waves before he chastises his disciples and says, why is it that you have no faith? How long have you been with me and you still don't understand what I'm all about? If I am with you, if I am with you in your sphere, you will be okay. No harm will come to you. We must remember that as people of God. Whether we are in the the sanctuary of God, whether we're out there in the world and the greater creation of God, if God is with us, what are we panicking about? Where does this fear come from? This is the torture that we do to ourselves. Be kind to yourself. So many times we aren't. We look at our lives and we say, I should be further along. I should have done more. I should have made more money. I should have accomplished more, and we felt like time got away from us. Don't do that. The worst critic that we ever encounter is not the person who's external from us. It's that voice that resides in our head that says, you don't measure up. God tells us that we always measure up. God tells us and reminds us that we're exactly who we were created to be. God tells us that we are enough, and we have to believe that. I want you to believe that. I believe that. So as you enter back into this world, get more back into your flow of life as you knew it, do not fear what lies around the corner. Do not fear feeling redundant, forced out, passed over, hastened towards the grave. Look at it as an opportunity that God is calling you to a new deed of service. 
to some great new blessing that has yet to unravel. See it with enthusiasm and let that be your witness to those who will follow after you. Amen. I Thank you, Kyle. I invite us to join together in 424.
As we anticipate the sacrament of holy baptism, I invite Carol Brady to come up and help me to pray. So as you can see in the announcements today, we are having three baptisms. And when we, actually we've been having quite a few baptisms this year. Baptism is an outward example of an inward reality. These individuals today who will receive the sacrament of baptism will be sealed with God's covenant. That God who calls us forth into being into existence, lays a blessing upon us. It is symbolically represented in the water that is poured out on one's head, but it's designed to remind us that we are being sealed in that blessing and nothing, nothing in this world can, can touch them nor remove that. Does that mean that those who are baptized will not have some misfortune in their lives, make poor decisions, get hurt, heartbroken? No, by no means. It means that God will hold them in the promise even through those difficult times. When we see a baptism, we remember the act of either our parents presenting us, because the stories they tell, the photographs they have shown. For those who are baptized later in life, we reflect on those promises that we came to affirm for ourselves. So I am pleased to welcome the family, the Warwald family, and Sora Major forward to join with me with parents and sponsors. Let's gather around the font. Let's have some baptism. These words that I command you this day shall be upon your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child, whom he placed among them, and he says, Truly, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, but the little children come to me. And do not resist them, for it is such that the kingdom of God belongs to them. In this service of baptism, we come to declare our faith in God and our eagerness to nurture our children in the ways of God made known to us, or yet to be made known to us. We come publicly before the church to name these individuals and candidates in recognition that they are a gift from God. And as a result, this blessing that was set upon them is a reminder of God's love. So we're going to do this in a, in a couple of parts because Storm can speak for himself. Those of you who know him know that he is willing to do that. So today I'm, go I'm going to start the questions with Storm and then I will, then I will move uh, to the other parents and sponsors. 
Storm, do you desire to be baptized? Do you trust in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And are you willing to avail yourself and be mentored by those who have walked the faith in the ways of the church? That's rich. <laughs> As the parents and baptismal sponsors of Wesleyan and Briggs, I ask in the presence of God and the congregation to respond as Storm has to this small interview. And today I'm going to just keep the questions together. And uh, you can just respond with one minute. As those of you who have the joy and the privilege of being able to raise these children in the ways of the faith, I ask, will it be part of your promise and your practice to not only continue to pray for them and to ensure that their health, their well-being will be guided and mentored, that it will be strengthened by the will of God? Will you put yourself out there as a spiritual guide for them to pray with them if need? To give them good, sound advice and to lead them in the ways of righteousness? And, and will you also just model that or try as best you can to model that in your life? If so, please respond. We will. Congregation, you've already read the covenant today. Having heard both Storm and the parents and sponsors of Wesleyan and Briggs commit to their desire to journey and to teach these children in the ways of faith, do you pledge your support as the household of faith to continue to offer your encouragement, support, love, extra advice, guidance, babysitting, and all that good stuff? If so, please say, we do. We do. We do. All right. We do, we do. And have. Okay, so we'll begin with Storm. And, and that's okay. Carol's, Carol's not the way. Storm, you can just bow your head over this. Storm, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see how easy that is? <laughs> Wesleyan, your turn. Wesleyan Marie, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Briggs Dean, I baptize you. Let us celebrate our three new members of the church union. And as they get seated, a prayer of thanksgiving. Loving and most merciful God, you have been good to us. And we are always grateful to see reminders of your gracious love in the sacraments. So for Storm, Wesleyan, Briggs, now received into the care of your church, into the household of faith, I ask on their behalf that you continue to keep the promises that you have made to them, that you would guide them and shield them through all of the various aspects of their life and the events 
that they will encounter. I ask that you would continue to lay a firm hand upon their parents and sponsors and strengthen them as well, not only in their own personal witness, but in all the responsibilities that life entails. Bless the entire Vorwald family, that they continue to do you proud in the world, remembering that no matter what happens, you've got them covered. Thank you for allowing us to be reminded once again of the promise that you made to us and the fact that, yes, you are still keeping it. Amen. At this time, we, well, I guess I could just keep on praying because we're still in the fellowship of prayer. So, bow on. <laughs> Lord, we continue on because there's a few more things. First of all, we thank you once again for the, the marriage of Chelsea and John Cruz. That you allowed us to witness their love as it has unfolded over the years, culminating in their exchange of vows, the giving and receiving of rings. And they have now set forth in the world as a united front, husband and wife. May you let your blessing be upon them, fortify them, God. They have been through so much and we couldn't be happier for them. We thank you for the celebration that you allowed us to witness yesterday. It was, it was quite enjoyable. So be with Chelsea and John and continue to bless them and remind them that so long as they have each other, they will be all right. Be with those who are celebrating Father's Day, our many fathers. We realize that sometimes, and I don't know how it has shaken out this way, but sometimes dads don't get as much notoriety as moms do, but they are no less important in the role that they are called to play in the family. Sometimes you can consider dads maybe the unsung heroes of the household. And they like that sort of uh, being behind the scenes. But, you know, we cultivated this day, we call it Father's Day, so we sort of pull them out from behind the stage and say, okay, you gotta be in the limelight for a moment, we gotta acknowledge you. We buy them their favorite beer, maybe you get them a new smoke or something that dads like. And in any event, we also recognize that dads have a very important role in their lives of their children. That, for many children, dads sort of, you know, that, that first encounter that they have with the whole notion of what it means to be in that role of wisdom provider, advice, taskmaster, Dads should get higher billing because they too can exhibit great lengths of patience and compassion and fortitude, things so often associated with moms. Well, there's some dads out there that can best moms too in that regard. So for all the roles that fathers play, for all the skills that they have cultivated, for their endurance and their relationship with their children, we thank you. But I'm not naive. And I know, because I said this on Mother's Day, that there are children who are estranged from their fathers. Fathers who haven't spoken to their children in some length of time. 
Lord, I am a hopeful person. I pray that reconciliation can and will be possible. I hold out hope for such things. And I trust that you, being the God that I have come to know you as, will make those connections. It may take time. It may not come as we anticipate it. But I pray that it does come. So bless and keep fathers and their children and allow this day to be a celebration of their many gifts. God bless you, fathers. Be with those who are sick and suffering, those in recovery, those who are on the mend, especially Linda Munson. We ask that you would continue to strengthen bodies and minds who have been made weary from illness or just from life's events. Be kind to us as we take time to heal and be renewed. For these prayers and the ones that we set before you, we ask that you would receive them for the sake of he who offered himself for us. Receive our prayers in Jesus' name. giving you thanks, Lord, for receiving these prayers spoken unto you. We ask that you would collect them into your care. Let your blessing fall upon us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
thank you once again, Lord, for the gift of productivity, for the ability to go forth and offer our gifts and to fashion a world as a result of our wisdom and our abilities. For this portion that we return to you, we ask that you would bless it, consecrate it to the service of the church, but let it not stop there. The respective gifts that you have given us be used far and wide for the advancement of your gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. You may be seated. At this time, as we move into our communion, for those of you who are not familiar with these little deals, if you, it, it requires patience. So, <laughs> and the results may vary. If you, if you have a pen knife, you are free to use it and encouraged to do so. Uh, let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to come to worship and to unburden ourselves from the mistakes of our past, the poor decisions, the loss of temper, the general sort of unraveledness that comes in various aspects of life. We know we can be better. Sometimes we just don't always get there. But for this moment, as we prepare to receive this sacrament, we know that you hold no misdeed, no sin against us. You call us into renewal. You remind us that you are our companion and our guide. You fill us with hope. So let that be so as we partake of these elements as a reminder of your son's love for us. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, blessed and broke it, and says, This is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He then presented them with a cup. He says, This is my blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take the cup of salvation. Giving you thanks, God, for that continued reminder that we are loved by you, saved by grace, led by faith, bolstered. We ask that you would allow us to remember the deeds that took place here, to see the outpouring of your blessing in water, to receive the reminder of our forgiveness through these elements, to be assured that we do not walk alone, but we walk with you. Amen. We join together in our closing hymn, number 597.
blessing. May the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you securely in peace.